Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Morning, everybody. Doing okay? Good, good. Great to see you all here today. Uh, again, welcome to all our guests. Uh, so nice to have you here with us today. Uh, if, you're, if you're visiting, uh, of course you won't know this, uh, but even if you're new to Pathway Church, you haven't been around for, for years, uh, then you may not know this, and so I'll just tell you uh, that typically at Pathway Church, if you were to attend here on a, on a normal Sunday, which, uh, which I guess today would count as a normal Sunday, uh, if you came on a normal Sunday, uh, myself or someone from this stage will be teaching from the Bible, particularly in a topical manner. Okay, so which means uh, we're asking a question like, what does the Bible or what does God say about love or about mercy or about relationships or about marriage? And so we're opening up the Bible and we're saying, here's what God says about that particular subject. Now, the reason we primarily teach in a topical way is because that's the way Jesus taught and Peter taught and Paul taught. They, they had a topic and they would begin to address it because here's what God says about that subject. However, even though that's our normal mode of communication here at the church, uh, each year, typically in the winter, we try to, to take a different approach. And what we do uh, during this time of the year typically is, is preach through a portion of Scripture or a book of the Bible in an exegetical fashion. It's a big word that means that we're going to walk through it line by line, verse by verse, explaining it, contextualizing it. And one of the reasons why I think this is so helpful It's because rather than just going and finding verses and say, here's what God says, we're actually going to have to follow a train of thought for for weeks on end. We're going to have to look at the original tent of the author, the history around the particular writing, and uh, and hopefully as we do so, our our knowledge and our appreciation for the Bible will grow as we do it. And so over the next 12 weeks or so, I'm going to be doing this, and we're, we're going to be walking through and preaching through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And, and so as, as we get started on this journey together as a church, I really want to encourage you all to do something. I want to encourage you to actually open a Bible. <laughs> I know you're like, oh, I do that. Not everybody does. I'll just tell you that right now. And I know many of us have become dependent on, and this isn't bad, we've become dependent on devotionals and studies where someone says, here's a thought for the day, here's a passage of Scripture, here's a nice idea from God's Word. All very helpful, and I encourage you to do those things. Maybe some of you are reading books written by other people about the Bible. Also very helpful and also a good idea. But I really want to encourage you as we walk through this particular letter to the Galatians to open your Bible and to read it directly from the source. This is an amazing privilege that we have that we're able to do that in our English language. And so I want to encourage you. Galatians, this letter we're studying, is six chapters long. Depending how fast you read, you can read the entire thing in, you know, eight to 12 minutes. So this isn't, this isn't a massive project for you, but you could read one chapter and really, really look at it each day as, as a part of your time with God. Uh, you could also uh, sit down and read the, thing in the, the, sorry, the letter in its entirety in one sitting. But I want to encourage you to read it this week. And the more you engage with the actual words on the page in your physical Bible, or maybe if you use a device instead of a physical Bible, again, read the words that are in it. It's powerful, and it'll change his life. I, this is my Bible. It's, it's an old uh, ESV Bible. It's got wide margins. You probably can't see that. Uh, I like to write little notes and scribble 
I encourage you to do that if it's helpful for you to remember uh, things that, that you're learning. Uh, but I got this whole Bible. It's being held together with Gorilla Tape. <laughs> it's pretty strong stuff. We're fans of Gorilla Tape around this church, by the way. We use it for everything. Uh, but it's holding my Bible together. My, uh, my darling wife bought me a new one. <laughs> She's like, your Bible's getting rough. She bought me a new one for Christmas. I still haven't opened it because I just love this one. It's my friend. And, uh, and it's hanging in there. It's tough, you know. So I want to encourage you to get a Bible and to open it up and maybe even bring it with you over the next 12 weeks and, and make notes and, and really process what we're talking about. It will, it will impact your life. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next 12 weeks. And before I, I give you the sort of uh, the basic fundamentals about this particular letter we're going to be studying, I really feel like it's necessary to give you maybe a little bit of an overarching view of the book that I'm holding. Because I know we're in church and you just assume everyone knows, but honestly, there are many people who attend their church who are new to faith and they don't know the history of the Bible and they don't know the history of the church and they don't understand how it all fits together. So not that I could explain that in a few minutes, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, this book is unique amongst all other religious texts. and There are many in the world for many different religions. This is unique in a number of ways, which we can't even begin to get into. One of them is this. That this particular book, it says Bible, you can't see that, it says Bible on the front. The word Bible actually just means book or books. And this isn't just a book, like, like a book that you, you know, most books you read, an author or a few authors sat down and penned it from start to finish. It's not the way this book, this is actually a book of books. There are 66 separate documents that are all inside and bound together in this one book. The interesting thing about it, there are over 40 authors writing in a span of over 1,500 years. Now, that's, that's incredible. Different languages, different cultures, and this was written over this massive span of time by a massive group of people, and here's the amazing thing. There is one story through it all. Unbelievable. It begins with the creation of the earth by God, and it ends with God uh, uh, restoring the heavens and the earth and in between, it, it tells the story of God intervening in his creation to save it and to uh, uh, restore it. It's, it's this beautiful storyline written over... The, I mean, there is no other book in the world like it. Can I just say that? There is no other book in the world like it. And this book tries and actually does answer the fundamental question that all humanity is asking. And the fundamental question is simply this. How, how can a person be right with God? Or another way to say it is, what could a person do to be right with God? And you say, well, I'm, I don't even believe in God. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting when you study human history, what you will discover is that across the earth, through all times and generations, religions have spontaneously come about in all places, in all times, seeking to answer this fundamental question. Because there was something in the hearts and in the, the design of man that knows that there's some sort of law, some rule above us, and that we break it. And, and you can go to all different places in the world, and what you will discover is most of them in most religions have some form of law, something like the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lust, those kinds of things. And they seem to pop up spontaneously in all throughout history and through all religions. How did that happen? Well, where does that come from? That it's the, the, the New Testament calls it the natural law, that there's something that's self-evident. There's something wired into us to know that there's this law, and we fall short of it. 
And so religions rise up in an attempt to answer the question of how do I make it right? When I, when I was uh, well, about 10 years old, uh, we lived in Mississauga. My dad had a machine shop, and attached to his machine shop was a little warehouse. And at this particular time, the warehouse was fairly empty, and my older brother, Travis, who was about 13 or 14, and myself, we, we, were, we were waiting for him for hours while he was finishing his work. And so we would go into the warehouse, and we'd, we'd fool around, and there was this big metal cart made out of tube steel with sharp edges and, and big caster wheels. And we, again, this was before the days of phones and video games. We had to find some way to entertain ourselves. And so we chose to do that by riding around in the cart. And so we would take turns. One of us would ride and the other one would push around the warehouse. It was a lot of fun. Like, apparently it wasn't fun enough uh, because my brother Travis decided to run full speed towards the cinder block wall with me in the particular cart. And, uh, and I remember seeing the wall getting closer, and there's that moment of decision. It's like, do I, do I jump, or do I wait and trust that my brother will stop? And there came this moment where I thought, there's no way he's stopping. I'm out of here. And I jumped out of the cart, but he was still pushing it. And so this cart proceeded to flip over and land on my leg, pinning me under it. And so I'm screaming, and my dad has to run into the warehouse. And he, I, I remember him. It must have been heavy, because my dad's not a little guy, and he had to struggle to lift this thing off of me. And I was convinced that my ankle was broken. I, it was, I was in so much pain. I couldn't step on it. I couldn't touch it. And so my dad you know, carries me to his truck, and we're off to the hospital. Um, halfway to the hospital, my brother Travis in the back seat, he's looking at He says, hey, there's a tear in your pants. I'm like, oh, yeah, there is. I lift up my pants, and I won't give you the details. There's a giant hole in my leg. And uh, so we get to the hospital, and again, without all the details, at the end of my little surgery, the doctor stitched me all up and cleaned everything, and, and I'm laying on the bed, and I'm just, you know, I'm finally calm, and in comes my, my big brother. He's like 13, 14 years old. Comes walking into the room with his head down, holding a bag of hickory sticks that he bought at the vending machine. <laughs> and he walks up to me, and all he said was, um, I got these for you. He gave them to me and walked out. What was he doing? <laughs> he was trying to make it right. Little did he know, I don't even like hickory sticks. It didn't work. <laughs> but he was trying to make right what he had done wrong. And, and this is the essence of religions around the world. How do we make right what we've done wrong? And if someone says, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. I don't believe in a higher law. I don't believe in all that stuff. Even if that is the case, you have set laws and rules in place for yourself and then broken them and you've still fallen short. How do you make it right? What is it that you can do? And so religions come up with all of these options. Well, you can meditate long enough to, until you transform your inner person. Or, or you can do enough good things that you could outdo the bad that you've done. And so good works and charity and kindness and generosity come out. Or you could sacrifice enough. I'll give away enough of my stuff. I'll get rid of this. And, or even some extreme people have said, no, I'll hurt myself. Whip yourself and starve yourself and, and take a vow of poverty all to, to do enough negative to yourself to outdo the negative you've done to others. Like this is, this is what religions of the world have tried to do. Here's what's so unique about the Christian faith and so unique about what's in this book. Unlike all the other religions of the world, this is the book that says that God didn't just, the God who created us and, and who judges all of us didn't say, hey, do all these things and you will be right with me. In fact, what he did was he said, you can't make it right. I'm going to enter into my own creation. I'm going to enter into the broken world that you broke and I'm going to fix it on your behalf 
in order to make a way for you to be right with me. It's the only religion in the world where the God we're accountable to comes and does it for us. And it's a beautiful picture of God's grace and his mercy and our inability to make things right. And that's why I love this book. And that's why I love uh, this letter we're going to be studying is the letter called the Galatians. And in this particular letter, this is the highlight. This is the central theme of the letter. Where, where Paul is going to say, here is how a person can be right with God. And he's going to spell it out for us. And, and I love it. So before we jump into the text, and, and my, my, plan is to, um, my plan is to spend about 10 verses a week. So we can get through this in about 12 weeks time. So I need to spend a lot of time giving you some outline and information. And then we'll try to race through the first nine verses this morning. Here's the first thing you need to know. The author of this particular letter is Paul the Apostle. I won't spend a lot of time today telling you about Paul the Apostle, how God called him and and what he did, because we're going to talk more about that next week. If you come back next Sunday, we're going to be in the second half of the first chapter. We're going to talk about how to know your calling, how to discover what God has called you to do, and I hope that will be helpful for you. So we're going to talk about that next week, but suffice to say this, Paul was extremely educated. Paul was a religious leader who actually opposed Jesus and Christianity, even killed Christians, And then Jesus appears to him and turns his life around, and Paul gives his life for the message that we're going to be talking about today and over these next 12 weeks. He he literally dies for this that we're going to be talking about. That's who Paul is. So Paul is the author of this particular letter, the audience that he is writing to. He is writing to a group of people. We're calling them the Galatians, okay? But Galatians is this, Galatia was a province within the Roman Empire. And I got a little map to show you. Um. In what would be modern-day Turkey, there's this region of the Roman Empire that was called Galatia, and within that region, there were many cities, and Paul had recently traveled to these places telling them that God had made a way for them to be right with him through Jesus, and and he had made converts, and, and churches had begun to gather in places like Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And then, um, this book was written approximately 49 A.D., Some of you are like, okay, great fact, thanks, let's move on. But I want to stop here for a moment. This is super important. Uh, 49 AD means that this letter was written within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection. Like, we're 2,000 years down the road, roughly. 20 years. Like, the people that saw Jesus resurrected were still alive. They were all hanging out and writing down his teachings. And all the, the, what we call the New Testament was still being written and formed. That's how old this is. That's how close to ground zero, like the event, the resurrection of Jesus is the event that set Christianity in motion. And it's the event that answers the question of how a person can be right with God. So this is so close. And here's one of the things you may not know. Again, when it comes to the Bible and how it was formed, especially the New Testament, all these letters were collected by church leaders and bound together in what we call the New Testament. Now, Your assumption might be like mine. I always kind of assumed that they would have organized the New Testament into chronological order. Does that not make sense? Let's put it in the order in which it was written or in the order that events happened. But here's here's what I need to tell you. The New Testament is not in chronological order. It's not. Here's how the New Testament was organized. When they collected all these documents and put them together and bound them together in the Bible, this is how they organized them. Uh, On the left, we have four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
What you may not know is that each one of those Gospels was written for a particular audience. For example, Matthew writes to Jews, and he's constantly quoting the Old Testament prophets saying, Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these prophecies. He is the Messiah, and so he would point the Jews to Jesus. Then you have Mark. Mark tells stories about how Jesus did miracles. It's all about Jesus' power, and he's writing for Romans who loved and pursued power. And he's like, Jesus is the one with all the power. Then you have Luke, who is a doctor and who writes down specific details. And thanks to him, we have all the details around the Christmas story. Um, And so he writes in great detail. John is a philosopher. He writes for the Greeks. Jesus was the word. What does that even mean? Jesus was light. He's he's talking in philosophical ideas. And so each of them is is a particular lens through which we can see Jesus. So that's great. Then we have the book of Acts, which is considered the history of the early church. It tells us about all the things they did and how things went. And then we have the rest of these letters grouped together. Now notice, Pauline epistles, he wrote many, many letters. On the left half of that grouping are all the letters that he wrote to groups or churches. Then all the letters that he wrote to individuals. So they, they put them into buckets when they organized them. And then all of the general epistles or all the letters that were written by other Apostles and leaders were grouped together, so you got three buckets, Paul's letters to churches, Paul's letters to individuals, other apostolic letters, and the book of Revelation. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know how they put those in order in your Bible? From longest to shortest. It's funny, but I kid you not. Romans is Paul's longest letter to a group of people. They put it first, and then Corinthians, and then Galatians, and then Ephesians, and then Colossians. And then when they came to all the personal letters, oh, Timothy's the longest, that one goes first, and then... And then, and then, and then they did the same thing. So they're all out of order chronologically. Now, I've given you all that information to simply say this. Galatians is believed, this letter we're studying, is believed to be the oldest or the second oldest letter written and circulated within the early church. It was written before the Gospels. It was written before Romans and all these other things. So it was one of the first documents that began circulating amongst the early churches. And so when we study it, we're going to get a glimpse of of what the the baseline gospel is. The thing that made the church the church, that's what we're going to discover. And we're also going to discover that even within those 20 early years of the church being formed, it had already begun to get twisted and distorted. Imagine what could happen over 2,000 years. So it's super helpful for us to have this letter and to be able to go back to ground zero and say, what is the gospel? What is this message that made Christianity, Christianity? So I hope of what your appetite for this book, and and we're going to jump into it. But before we do, just two quick definitions. The first one is this. I keep saying gospel, and I would define the gospel in, in this simple way. And again, these are, this is my best attempt um, to, to describe it. The gospel says this, a person is not right with God by works of the law. You don't get right with God by something you do, but through faith in Christ alone. That is the essential message of the Christian church. Therefore, what we're going to see in this letter is that a false gospel, something that is not the truth, is Jesus, that message of Jesus, plus anything. Like, if you say, yeah, believe in Jesus and do X, Y, Z, then you're a Christian. You've missed the boat. Christ and Christ alone. And we're going to discover as we go through this why that's so important. But suffice it to say, uh, this is the tension that that Paul was, was dealing with. So historically, here's why this happened. 
Jesus was a Jew. Did you know this? He followed the Jewish law completely. He, he fulfilled the customs. He did not eat pork. He dressed in, in the way that Jews dressed. He celebrated their feasts and holy days. He kept the Mosaic law. He did all of that as a Jew. And what's interesting is while he was alive and going around preaching, on occasion there would be somebody that comes who's not Jewish and they would come to Jesus for help. And he would essentially say, um, not for you, not now. Oh, and then he would do something really cool for them often. Right? But Jesus would say, no, 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 this, I came for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. And, and there was very much a segregation. The Jews lived separately. They, had, they were very, very strict in the way that they lived and, and the things that they did. What's so fascinating is at the end of Jesus' life, when he is resurrected, before he ascends in his, into heaven, he turns to his disciples, who were all Jewish, by the way, and he says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He literally tells them, you are now going to take this message beyond Israel, beyond Jewish people to the whole world. I'm not just the Jewish Messiah, I'm the Savior of the world. Go tell them. But of course, they don't even know where those lines are, and so they basically stayed in Jerusalem for the next 20 years. And and Jesus appears to Paul and sends him out, and so Paul is traveling the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus. Now, every time Paul went to a city like Iconium or Lystra, he, he arrives in the city with this message. He's an eyewitness to Jesus, and he shows up in the city. And you know what he does? He, he rounds up all the Jewish people. He goes to the local synagogue, and he begins with them first saying, the Messiah that God promised to Abraham and David and to Moses, and they open up the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. He'd open it up and show them Jesus. Trust in him. It's not in keeping the law. It's in following Christ and receiving him. And some Jews would be converted and they would come with him and they would form a church. But Paul wouldn't stop there. After he had talked to the Jews, he would go and talk to the Romans and the Greeks and every other person in the city. And and those people would be converted and he'd put them all in a room together. Can you imagine? You know, that's like taking, I'm trying to think of the most extremes I can, like an Amish family and a Pentecostal tongue-talking, dancing, shouting, flag-waving, and you put them in the same church and like, let's worship Jesus together. Like everyone's looking at each other. How can this work? (laughs) And so they were united, as different as they were, by this faith in Jesus, this fundamental idea that only he could make us right. And so that was the glue that held the church together. But of course, Paul leaves, and Judaizers, or or Jews, uh, who believe that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah, but you also have to be a Jew. Their logic was simple. They would come up to a Roman and be like, hey, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, we're brothers. Awesome. Did you know Jesus was a Jew? Oh, I guess he was. Did you know that Jesus didn't eat that? And they'd like uh, take the bacon out of their mouth. I didn't know that. Oh, did you know that that Jesus dressed in a certain way? That Jesus covered his head when he prayed? That Jesus uh, celebrated these feasts and festivals? And he he did all of these customs according to the law of Moses? Like, oh, I didn't know that. And if you want to follow a Jewish Messiah, you must become a Jew. By the way, it also means you have to be circumcised. And we brought somebody with a knife. Uh, We can help you with that. But at this point, people are going, wait a minute. This was a big deal. Because everywhere the church was being formed, you had Jews who had adhered to this law and non-Jews joining together in the local church and very quickly began to add requirements to people, so much so 
that Paul actually had to travel to Jerusalem to the mother church and meet with the other apostles and elders in the local church there. And they literally have a debate in Acts chapter 15. You can read it this week. All about what, okay, how is a person right with God? And the answer they came to, through faith in Jesus Christ. The answer they came to, you do not have to become a Jew to follow the Jewish Messiah. And yet, throughout the churches, this is exactly what's happening. So Paul writes, the purpose of this letter is to correct this because the people in the church were being confused and they were turning away from faith in Jesus to now keeping the law and becoming Jewish in order to please God, which he says doesn't work. Now, we're almost out of time. We need to actually open the book and start reading it. Um, All of that to say and to set a foundation for what we're going to do now. So, Uh, As we jump into the first verse, I want to say this. Um, If this was a seminary class, we could literally spend an hour on each verse or more. And the reason why we could do that is because the Bible is a hyperlinked book. Right? You've been on the internet, and you see something, you click on it, and it takes you somewhere else, and you click on it, there's like no end. Or you're on YouTube, and you're watching a video about, you know, a diet or some health food, and then next thing you know, you're watching sports fails, and then somehow you're watching cats doing crazy things, and you're like, how did this happen? Because you just kept clicking, and you followed the trail. We could stop on any one word in this letter, and then follow the trail through Paul's letters, and into the Old Testament, and then over to Jesus, and you could just circle indefinitely and learn along the way, but it's a hyperlinked book. That's why I want to encourage you to read it. It's really cool, (laughs) all right? And so... um, Beginning in verse 1, let's go there. Here's how Paul opens his letter. The first uh, five verses are his introduction. He says this in verse 1. Paul, an apostle. He identifies himself as Paul and as an apostle. Now, if you're new to church, an apostle was somebody who was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. Okay? You're not an apostle like he was. It's just, just not. You're not. I'm just telling you that. Paul was an, eye, or he was an eyewitness. So like the... the the, the 12 disciples who were apostles in Jerusalem, Paul had also seen the resurrected Christ and had been commissioned by him. And by the way, all those eyewitnesses, like if you go to court, you need eyewitnesses. These were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Most of them died because of their eyewitness and their, and their failure to recant, recant it. And so he says, I am an apostle. I am an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. And then he says, I became so not from men or by men. In other words, it wasn't a group of friends that were like, we like Paul, he's a really good leader. Let's call him an apostle. <laughs> no. No, it didn't work like that. Paul says, I'll tell you how I became an apostle. I became an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. One of the things that Paul often does is he groups Jesus and God the Father, the creator God, together. He binds them together. Because Jesus is God, he's the son of God, and they're united in their work, and they have different functions. But here we see, he says, through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. In the very first verse, Paul is like, this is the event that has set the church in motion, the resurrection of Jesus by God the Father. Here it is, first verse. This is what our foundation is. And he continues, and all the brothers who are with me. <laughs> What's interesting to the, about this is that Paul, even though we think of Paul as this old guy sitting and writing on scrolls in prison, by himself, every time Paul writes a letter, he includes the other people he's writing it with. Now, unfortunately, we don't have their names, but Paul was not a lone wolf. He was not a self-proclaimed apostle running around saying, I've heard from God. 
He had brothers. He had people he was accountable to, that he was working with. He had people that traveled with him. He was part of a community, um, just like you and I should be part of a community as well, to the churches of Galatia. Now we know who he's writing to. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God. Now, that word grace, we could go for, for hours on that, but let me just suffice to say this. When he says grace to you, what he's talking about is, is all that God has for you, I want that for you. When Jesus appeared on the scene, you know what he said? The kingdom of heaven, all that God desires, all that God does, his power, his peace, his joy, all of it, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is like, because I have come, because I'm here, everything that God wants for you is near. And so when Paul says this, what he's saying is, is, I want God's grace for you. Everything that God has for you, I want it for you. And it leads to peace, because if you have him, peace is the result, and joy, and love. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coupled together again in reverse order. Fantastic. And how does this grace come to us? How does what God wants for you and for this world come to you and come to our world? Well, it comes through Jesus. Look what he says. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now he's referencing this question that I already brought up. How does someone get right with God? The answer is you can't. So he did it for you. This is the essence of Jesus having to come, the God-made man who suffered in our place for our sins so we could be right with God. And he highlights it right here in his introduction. This is all foundational. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. I don't know if you've looked around the world lately. We live in an evil age. And you could look around and talk about the atrocities that are happening here and there, and there's evil out there. But when you stop long enough to look, you'll find there's actually some evil right here. <laughs> and the world would be a better place if we could all deal with the evil and the sin that's right here, wouldn't it? And he says, Jesus came and he died for our sins, and he brings this grace to us so that something can be transformed within us, which will ultimately transform something outside of us. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. He's not talking about removing us from the world, bringing us to utopia heaven. He's talking about we can be free from the sin and the evil desires that live inside of us because, because of what Jesus has done and his work in us. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, all this happens according to the will of our God and Father. In other words... Everything that's happened and everything that I'm talking about was God's plan from the beginning. Before he created the world, he knew he was going to send his son and redeem the world. It's all coming together exactly as he has planned. He ends his introduction here. To whom be the glory forever and ever. He says, in the end, all the glory is going to go where? To God. Like, if most of us, let's say all of us, one day are standing in front of God around his throne... None of us are going to stand there and be like, you know, I gave so much money in the offering, that's why I'm here. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say, hey, you know, I, I, every single week I was in there with those snot-nosed brats in the nursery. That's why I'm here. No one's going to say that. No one. I Just trust me. You won't say it. No one will say, because I was such a good person, because I did so much for other people. No, we will fall on our faces and say, only because he is gracious and only because he left the perfection of heaven to come down and save us when we could not save ourselves. That's why I'm here. Paul says, this is the foundation. And he finishes his introduction with this word, amen. 
We all say it. Let's say it together. Amen. Isn't that nice? Now, years ago, I used to attend a church, and there was this lady in the front row. And every time the preacher said something good, she'd be, amen, amen. Some of you know who that was. Amen. And she would say, and I would just, it would frustrate me. I'm like, you're just trying to get attention. But then I began to dig into this. Do you know what the word amen means? Some of you are thinking it means we get to eat. <laughs> Finally, the prayer is over. Let's dig in. Uh, it doesn't mean that. A- amen is actually a, from a Hebrew word that the Jewish people would use in their synagogue. And when they would read the scriptures or someone would say something that was true, they would say, Amen, which meant truly or verily. So when Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say, he was saying, Amen, Amen, I say unto you. It means I agree with that. That is true. So you're sitting in your seat and I say something on a very rare occasion and you're like, That's true. <laughs> amen. Amen. I agree with it. It's true. So maybe we need a few more amens around here, eh? Now that we know it. Thank you. Thank you in the front row. That's wonderful. And now uh, we're, we're going to look at the first three verses. Of, literally, as Paul in verse 6, Paul's now going to transition to a correction. He's going to be like, okay, now let's get... Now I've given you the framework we're operating in. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk now, friends. And he says this in verse 6. I'm astonished. I'm shocked. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In other words, I was just there. I spelled it out as clear as I knew how that you can't save yourself. Nothing you could do could save yourself. So trust in Jesus. He's the only one. And already you're turning to a different gospel. This again, because of the Judaizers come in and saying, no, we got to add this and this and this. Verse 7, not that there's another one. He's like, let me be clear. When I say another gospel, I don't mean that there's a bunch of ways to be right with God. There's only one. There's only one Savior. Pathway church. One pathway to God, not pathways, plural. Every time someone says it, I cringe. I'm like, no, don't say that. There's only one way. That's, that's, that's what's happening inside. Do you see my eye twitching? It's not pathways church. It's pathway church. There's one way. He says, there's not another gospel. There's one gospel. There's one truth, there's one way, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. They want to they add to it. Now, here's what's so amazing. Within 20 years of Jesus leaving the earth, they were already mixing it up. That's why I love this letter. In the late 1400s, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther. You've probably heard of him. Martin Luther was in the Roman Catholic Church, and he was a biblical scholar and teacher, and he would have been reading a Latin version of our Bible. And it was this letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, that Martin Luther was reading. And he really grasped this idea that Jesus and Jesus alone was the way to be right with God. And when he looked at the church that he was part of, the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, he looked at it and he said, over these 1,500 years, we've added requirements. We've added stuff that was never intended to be added. And he called for reformation. He nailed his 95 thesis on the wall, or on the door of the, of the Wittenberg Chapel, I think it was. And he basically said, we have to get back to what Paul says is the true gospel. We've added, let's, let's fix it. But of course, people didn't want to fix it. He was excommunicated from the church, and the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, comes out of that. It's this idea that we need to get back to what the original gospel and message was. And that's what Paul is trying to do here in his letter to the Galatians. And then he says this in verse 8, and we're almost done. Um, verse 8, he says, but even if, he says, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Even if we, 
Even if I come back to you a year from now and say something different than I'm telling you right now, if I or someone else or even an angel from heaven, imagine you're, you're praying in your room. You, know, you get down on your knee and you're like, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, God, and you start praying and bah, angel shows up. The room's full of light. This beautiful angel carrying a sword of fire stands in front of you and says, you must give money in order to be saved and be right with God. Okay, angel told me. Paul's like, no. I don't care how fancy the angel is. I don't even care if it's me coming back to you. Anything other than what I'm telling you right now is the false gospel. Jesus plus anything is the false gospel. (laughs) And so he says this. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, notice this, let him be, what's that say? A curse. That's really weak in the English language. In the Greek, that word means to cut off. And it's the same analogy used for hell. Hell is where people are cut off. It's all, like, he's so strong here. He's like, if anybody says anything other than what I'm telling you now, they can go to H-E double hockey sticks. I'm not even going to say it from the stage. But you know that word. He says that's how strong he's like, there is no other way. This needs to be foundational. And then he says this in verse 9, and this is where we'll end. As we have said before, he's just repeating it. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul stood on this very simple truth that we could not do anything to make ourselves right with God, but only through faith in Christ who did make us right with God. That's the only way. And adding anything to it distorts it. You know when my brother came into that hospital room with those, with those hickory sticks? He wanted to make it right, but those hickory sticks could never make right what he had done wrong. If you're watching by video, Travis, I still have a giant scar on my leg. <laughs> right? Like, you can't fix some things. And yet, and yet, instead of us trying to fix it in our own strength, we, we rely and trust on Jesus, who makes it right on our behalf before God. So here's the fundamental question. What can a person do to be right with God? There's the question. What can a person do? Is there something you can do to be right with God? And the answer is, there's nothing you can do. And when we understand that, it sets us up to in humility and faith turn our hearts and lives towards Christ who has done it for us. Now, that doesn't mean that our life doesn't change, and that doesn't mean that there aren't things we're to do as Christians. We're going to talk about all of that as we go through this letter, but it has to begin here with the gospel. Only Christ can make us right. In this church, we have people in this, in this, in this room right now who, there are some who didn't grow up in church, had very little faith or teaching, others who grew up in various denominations and traditions. There's a lot of differences in this room. There really are. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about open-handed and close-handed, like what are the issues that we have to fight for and what are the ones we can argue about. We're going to be going there as well. But in this room, we are united together in the church through this simple idea that hopefully we're all trusting Jesus with our eternal future, that we're looking to him for our forgiveness of our sins, that we're trusting him with our eternity. That is the thing that binds us together, and we'll talk about the rest. So with that, I want to close in prayer. Would you join me? Father, thank you for this letter that we have. Man, I'm just so amazed with the simplicity of the gospel that was preached in those first early days of the church. And God, we so easily add to it. 
We don't have to be Jewish to try to add things to the gospel. We all do it. We begin to slide into these beliefs that if we do enough good or attend church or give or treat people nicely, that somehow we are earning our way to you. But there was no way for us to earn our way to you. So Lord, I pray today if there's anyone in this room who has never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, that they would do that today. That they would humble themselves and turn their heart towards the only one who can save. And for those of us who maybe claim to be Christians, who say, oh, I've been doing that for years, that you would examine our hearts. Maybe we've begun to add our own list of things to that pure and simple gospel that we first fell in love with. God, would you, would you help us as we turn our hearts to you? In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.